0: The views expressed on this show by guests and the host on issues outside of the 9/11 controlled demolition evidence are the opinions of those individuals alone and do not necessarily reflect those of Architects and Engineers 9/11 Truth. 11 freefall. I'm the host Andy Steele. Today we're joined by Larry Cooper. Larry is a structural engineer and an advisory board member for AE 911 Truth. He has 40 plus years of consulting engineering experience related to the structural design and construction of major wastewater treatment facilities and highway and railway bridges. He has a master's degree in structural engineering from the University of Illinois, Urbana. He is also a dedicated project due diligence volunteer which of course is sharing the world trade center evidence with engineering chapters all across the country some very important work there led by roland Engel, our ceo so let's go ahead and add larry into the stream here larry welcome back to 911 freefall
1: yes Oh, andy i appreciate having this opportunity to talk with you and your listeners
0: yeah, exactly. Well, we're on video now, so we're all looking right at you. How does that feel? All right. <laughs> well, hi everybody. <laughs> so um, I've had you on the show before. I kind of consider this whole move to video is the sort of reboot of the show in a certain way. So let's start from square one. Tell us uh, about your you know your engineering experience a little bit more. And how did you come to this evidence—the World Trade Center evidence—proving that the towers were brought down in controlled demolitions on September 11th?
1: Well, okay, I guess that—that uh, that really got triggered by uh, when I was. Uh, well, let me let me give you a little bit of uh, background about myself, and it kind of kind of leads into that. Uh, uh, and let me start by describing how and why I became involved with um, AE Nine Eleven Truth, starting with my uh, personal philosophical evolution. I think that'll help inform the listeners on how my worldview got shaped as it relates to 9-11 and why I think it is so important for people to understand what caused the World Trade Center buildings to collapse like they did. What we see and don't see in the world is affected a lot by our world view. I grew up in what was then rural Wisconsin, cows all around. By the way, when I see a cheese made in Wisconsin, I know it will be the best before it even touches my lips. My father serviced planes in uh, the Army Air Force in World War II in the Philippines and Australia. My mother had a degree in education but worked in a foundry during the war I remember first seeing my father when he came home from the war when I was three years old. After the war, subdivision development was going strong and my father worked long hours operating and maintaining construction equipment. I was raised Catholic, but never felt comfortable with it. By the time I reached high school, I had a strong interest in science, math, and philosophical questions. One of my neighborhood buddies was brilliant in science and math and was also raised Catholic. We had an excellent high school math teacher. In addition to science projects, my buddy and I also had philosophical discussions. So when I came to, when it came to college, with my interest in math and science and my father working in construction, I just naturally gravitated towards civil engineering. During the time I was in college, I met my future wife, Diane, who had also been raised Catholic. We also had extensive discussions regarding religion and philosophy. In my junior year, I followed up on a decision I made before entering college and took a course in the philosophy of religion. I was introduced to the philosophy of humanism, a non-authoritarian philosophy that was much more open to exploring new ways of thinking. It became very appealing to Diane and I, and we adopted it. Upon receiving a bachelor's degree in civil engineering from the University of Wisconsin in 1967, my first job took us to a consulting firm in Urbana, Illinois. While there, I attended the University of Illinois and earned a master's degree in structural engineering in 1970, as you mentioned earlier. And by the way, I just saw a news report today that the University of Illinois Engineering Department was ranked number one in the nation. A few months into my first job in that consulting firm, a Palestinian joined our structures design group. He was also attending the University of Illinois, part-time, working for his PhD in structural engineering. This was a few months after the Six Day War in 1967 when Israel took control of much more Palestinian territory. Thanks to my Palestinian colleague, that was also the beginning of becoming much more involved about, much more informed about what many people now recognize as the colonizing of Palestine. Since that time, we became more and more active in supporting the human rights of Palestinians and more aware of the power and influence of special interests regarding the Middle East. In or around September of 2001, my wife and I, along with a half dozen members of our Unitarian Universalist congregation in Ann Arbor, Michigan, formed a committee to work on informing members of our congregation on the Israel-Palestine issue. That was the beginning of a much more active and organized level of engagement involving strategizing, organizing, bringing in local, national, and international speakers, engaging the congregation, collaborating with other groups in the area and our national organization. It was and still is an issue that is controversial, not only in our denomination, but in the U.S. I learned from that experience that just providing people with the facts was not enough. We had to understand the opposition's viewpoint and how to counter it. We collaborated with other like-minded organizations. We had to understand the power structures we were up against. In 2010, I was invited to join the Board of Directors of the National Unitarian Universalist for Justice in the Middle East, and three years later became president. Working at the national level meant working with other national organizations, primarily interfaith, We put a lot of effort into planning and having a presence at our denomination's annual uh, general assemblies, including managing a booth, setting up programs, and preparing, submitting, and promoting business resolutions for delegates to our general assemblies to consider for adoption by our national organization. At our 1913 general assembly in Louisville, Kentucky, Architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth had a booth located a couple of stations from our booth. Up until then, I had not paid close attention to the nature of collapse of the World Trade Center buildings on 9-11, which happened to be the day of my father-in-law's funeral. I was busy those days working on behalf of Palestinian human rights. As you might imagine, we don't normally see a booth at our denominational general assemblies representing architects and engineers. Out of curiosity, I paid them a visit to see what they were up to. Well, it was only a matter of a few minutes of discussion and watching a video of building seven collapsing that got my attention. My immediate immediate reaction was, that looks like controlled demolition. That obviously meant explosives had been placed in those buildings long before being hit by planes. Even more significant was the fact that Building 7 had not been touched by planes my previous 45 years of reading, studying, observing, and activism related to US involvement in the Middle East suggested to me that there was more to the story than the prevailing narrative was telling us. So, after a little more research, I decided that the work of AE 911 Truth warranted my endorsement and support. I submitted my credentials. They confirmed I had a degree in Structural Engineering from the University of Illinois and added me to their list of endorsers, which at that time I think was around 1900. I then started contributing to AE 911 Truth and receiving emails with more information. It wasn't until 2017, after I stepped down as president of UUs for Justice in the Middle East, and while still adjusting to the sudden pancreatic cancer related passing a few months later of my wife diane of 50 years that i started becoming more actively involved with ae 911 truth in late 2017 i started connecting with roland who was leading the launching of project due diligence and who of course is now our president Backing up a bit, in 2015, my wife and I started spending winters in Florida, purchased a house there and became snowbirds, spending summers in Michigan and winters in Florida. We joined a second Unitarian Universalist congregation in Florida. That congregation had forums prior to Sunday services. In early 2018, the forums coordinator asked me if I would do a forum about UUs for justice in the Middle East, I indicated that I had shifted my primary focus to understanding what caused the World Trade Center buildings to collapse on 9-11, and asked if I could give a presentation on the collapse of those buildings instead. She agreed, and we proceeded to schedule it. At that time, I was just starting to get involved with architects and engineers. But not yet in any official capacity. With the aid of a member of the congregation who was familiar with PowerPoint, I prepared a presentation using a lot of materials from AE 911 uh, Truth's website. I was going to be making this presentation from my personal perspective, not representing AE 911 Truth. I did, however, run it past Roland for a cursory review. They gave the presentation in early March. There was enough interest generated that the forum people agreed that I should give a second presentation a month later for the benefit, in part, of some skeptics who didn't come to the first presentation. Between late, uh, moving on then, between the late uh, 2018 and early 2020, as part of our Project Due Diligence campaign, I reached out to Michigan, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina branches of the American Society of Civil Engineers attempting to get on their schedules to make presentations. I also reached out to the professors of structural engineering at the universities of Wisconsin and Illinois, where I earned my bachelor's and bachelor's degrees in addition Uh, in addition to the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, just 25 miles from where I lived in Michigan. In late 2018, we learned that ASCE scheduled a forensic engineering conference for late November in Austin, Texas. Uh, This happened to be about the time that I was planning to make my annual trip from Michigan to Florida. So I adjusted my route to travel to Florida by way of Austin. There, I joined the team Roland had put together to reach out to conference attendees and encourage them to attend a presentation Roland had prepared to give in a nearby hotel. This turned out to be the first of several ASCE conferences in which we attempted to garner the attention of practicing structural engineers and expose them to the true cause of collapse of the World Trade Center buildings. While many attendees showed significant interest when we talked with them in the hallways, getting them to attend our presentations was a bit more challenging. People in the middle of their careers tend to shy away from controversial matters that might not be career enhancing. However, those who did attend our presentations did not disagree with the evidence or conclusions we presented. By the time we got to our third national ASCE conference in Miami in October of 2019, it appeared that ASCE officials were anticipating our arrival. They were clearly concerned over their members learning the truth and threatened to have security remove us from the building if we continued to distribute flyers. If they were confident that they could prove there was something wrong with our presentation, most people would have thought that they would encourage people to attend our presentations and point out any flaws they could find in our presentations. They apparently were not confident they could do so. In 2019, a major milestone in our quest for exposing the truth occurred. Dr. Leroy Halsey and two structural engineering graduate students at the University of Alaska Fairbanks completed a four-year study in which they examined and tested the explanation given by the National Institute of Standards and Technology as to what caused the 47-story Building 7 to collapse. They proved that NIST's analysis was invalid and went on to determine the mode of failure that agreed with the evidence and published their report titled A Structural Reevaluation of the Collapse of World Trade Center 7. An interesting little side note it turns out that Leroy was working on his PhD at the University of Illinois at the same time I was there studying my for my uh, master's degree 52 years ago. In February, of 2021, I had the pleasure of delivering a presentation based on what Roland, then the leader of Project Due Diligence had developed focusing on Dr. Halsey's UAF report. We delivered it virtually to about 200 engineers from Mississippi and Alabama, attending the Mississippi Engineering Society Conference Dr. Halsey, Roland, and Richard Gage were present and involved in the discussion following the presentation. Last year, we learned that the National Council of Structural Engineers Associations was planning to hold their annual national conference in New York in late 2021. It got rescheduled for February of this year because of COVID and I'll be attending virtually. After becoming aware of the National Council of Structural Engineers Association, I learned that Michigan had a chapter and was scheduling a state conference for August of last year. I then started having discussions with them about having a booth at that conference, which evolved into discussing the possibility of giving presentations at the state level to one or all of their three state branches. We're still pursuing those possibilities. In late 2021, as Architects and Engineers for 9 Truth began reorganizing, I was invited to join the Board of Directors. And I'm honored to have the opportunity to work with so many dedicated professionals. The effort they have put into bringing forth the actual collapse or cause of collapse of those three World Trade Center buildings is unbelievable and a remarkable model of dedicated determination to adhere to our professional standards in the face of tremendous opposition. The public has a right to expect those of us who have the expertise to understand and explain what really caused those buildings to collapse on that horrific day and to to inform them of the truth, regardless of how much resistance we are up against. I am humbled by their dedication and look forward to bringing the experience I have gained over the years toward exposing unwanted truths that the public needs to be aware of. I'd also like to add from a semi personal perspective, my joining of the AE 911 Truth Board at this time, just happens to be occurring at the same time that I'm involved in major organizational transitions in three other organizations that I've been active in for several years. While it creates some uh, time management challenges in the near term, it also provides opportunities to learn and share conceptually what I learn in each organization with the others. Each organization has its own challenges and opportunities, but in some ways they are similar. So if I survive the next few months, I hope to have the wind in my sails after that. As I assured the AE911 Truth Board, this work is my top priority, an an action that precipitates wars, massive destruction, and loss of life must be investigated until all relevant facts are disclosed. A huge crime was committed and the prime perpetrators have yet to be identified and brought to justice. The work of AE nine eleven Truth is just a first step in that direction. The engineering community must inform the public of the truth. Our engineering code of ethics demands nothing less of us.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, I, we learned a lot about where you are coming from. Mm -hmm. in terms of uh, your past activism, and you said something earlier, and I don't remember the exact line, but it was about getting to know the perspectives of the people that you're opposing, and that is so important. It is so easy to have an opinion on an issue like this, and then just think of the opposition as sort of like this zombie, you know, or this horde of zombies out there, and, uh, you know, but what you got to realize is that, The people a lot of times will feel just as passionate about their side as uh, as you do as well so you do have to understand them you gotta look at them as people too and uh, try to find different ways to come to an understanding so there's a lot of wisdom in those words and we are so happy to have you here Larry and all the great people that are associated with ae911truth affiliated and I mean so many different roles that get filled by just unique people uh, and there's something about the Universalist Church, because I know you're involved with that, you know, just the term, Universalist. I think there's a yeah, there's a church in New York City called All Souls Church, and I don't know yes. all the details about that, yes. but yes. but what a great name for a gathering uh, of people in the 9-11 Truth Movement, a uh, great name for the place, because it really is all souls coming from different walks of life, different perspectives, different ideas about other issues and politics and all those things that we don't get into, but we all come together for this one issue because the science doesn't lie and those buildings were brought down and controlled demolitions that day. And when you look at the way that NIST has subverted science, has done everything it can to avoid accountability and giving us an honest report. I mean, it would almost be funny if it wasn't so tragic, if it didn't involve the loss of life of thousands of people. Uh, I wouldn't, hear your thoughts on government and science. I mean, for truth, can they really mix at all?
1: Uh, They have to, I mean, we, I guess critical in this whole effort. Well, yes, let's start out with uh, reaching those who disagree with you. Um, It's important to understand where they're coming from. You have to get in their shoes and ask yourself, why do they believe as they do? And because it's important to understand that so that you know then what you have to do to communicate with them. How can you explain the truth as you see it in a way that they will understand? Um, So, and, and so dialogue. Is an important part of the whole process, so we have to be able to sit down and, and talk with each other. And I guess I would say that what architects and engineers has been doing from the very beginning really falls into that category. In that, uh, we have submitted a lot. We have submitted our observations, our evidence, etc., to NIST and so on, and asked NIST to. Uh, correct or to tell us what they object to about what we're submitting, but they're not really engaging. Uh, So we're doing our best to have that dialogue, if you will, with NIST, but NIST is refusing to really fully engage.
0: I'll tell you what I've learned so much from my experience here at AE Nine Eleven Truth to go from first. I mean, I wasn't even an activist before I got in, involved with uh, this issue, so I really jumped into it here uh, you know, head first. But <clears throat> you know, you start off and you just want to, I don't know, yell at everyone that uh, that you see about you know, the fact that the towers were brought down in demolitions that day, go over all the evidence and you got all this energy, but it really is smart to sit there and have the kind of dialogue that you are talking about. Because when other people see that, forget about who you're dealing with. When other people see that and you report on it, like I saw this on C-SPAN, the questions that we would ask to the candidates, to the politicians, to the mainstream media people weren't really aimed at them, even though we were asking them. We kind of had an idea of how they were going to respond. It's the audience. You see, the audience sees how these people respond, how they try to dodge it, how they give really bad answers that don't address the question. And that leaves it an impression in their mind. So if you can take the high road and do it in the gentlemanly way of where you're simply asking these questions and don't take any insults or anything like that personal, uh, these people will reveal themselves. And this mm-hmm. is revealing itself right now. And that's, yeah, that's what we're taking them to court Uh, I want to get into a little bit of the reports I mean there's some interesting aspects of this whole NIST investigation that I just can't stop harping on Uh, for instance computer model science now I don't know if you're much of a video game player but you know when you have computer (laughs) models of things you can make pretty much anything you want happen you can fly across beautiful landscapes you can slay dragons it's all a great fantasy, but that's exactly what it is. It's just a fantasy, right? And so NIST is trying to do a computer model to simulate real life. But what happens is their computer model starts to betray what happened in real life. It's supposed to be accurate to what we saw. It starts, but it, but it betrays what we actually saw with building seven. In real life, the building comes straight down, symmetrical, perfect controlled demolition. Uh, on the computer model, it starts to crumple on itself. So what do they do they stop the model they only go up to the point of collapse initiation same thing with the twin towers too and of course a lot of people died as a result of what happened after that collapse initiation so it's pretty darn important uh i do want to get your thought as an engineer about these computer models this situation and the fact they did they just stop right when the models betray what we actually saw in the videos
1: well, okay, first of all, I guess I would say that uh, when you look at that NIST computer model, uh, yeah, it it goes far enough that it shows their computer model does not agree with the videos of the building collapsing. And so that tells you right away that their computer model uh, uh, does is not simulating what actually happened to that building. So, and, and they spent several years putting their report together how come they couldn't do that Um, on the other hand uh, the alaska report uh, in that work they uh, they first of all went through the exercise of using the nist uh, input data to see if it would produce the results that uh, nist claims and they proved that it doesn't. Uh, So the NIST uh, uh, explanation was proven to be uh, uh, false. Then the Alaska study went further. They experimented with uh, different modes of uh, collapse, of failure, until they got a mode that agreed with the video evidence. Uh, and they did that using two different computer programs. And the two programs came out with essentially the same uh, results. Um, and furthermore, uh, you know, I have had some people say, well, yeah, but you can play with computer models and you can make them do whatever you want. Well. The pro- computer programs that NIST, or that sorry, that uh, was used in the Alaska study, are available for those who have expertise in computer modeling to look in at those programs and see if they are properly programmed, model, etc. So we are wide open as far as. Uh, uh, displaying the evidence or making the evidence available to anyone who wants to look at it uh, to to and if they f- so if they feel they want to challenge our results it, our book is open our book is wide open take a look at it if you find anything uh that you find faulty on there let us know but no one's been able to do that so when you put together NIST uh, withholding information, us making our information readily available, uh, I think it uh, speaks for itself.
0: That is right, and we've made everything available. Of course, it's going to be made available because there are people who are going to be threatened by the University of Alaska reports. We knew that ahead of time, and they're going to try to find any way to attack it you better believe that they were trying to get their hands on that information the second that it came out we know that we're under a microscope here so we're going to be as transparent as possible let them check the data and that is the difference between us here at Nine Eleven truth uh, the university of alaska fairbanks and nist NIST uh, says that we can't release the input data it would jeopardize public safety somehow we cannot do that <laughs> I mean, it's utterly ridiculous, and yet we still have to sit here and make the case over and over and over again, week after week, just on this show, and of course, in all the other outreach activities that we do, we still have to try and struggle to get this information out here, even though our stuff is sound science. What NIST gives you is political science, all right? You want that? Take that major and go run for office. And it's not a very <laughs> expected part of you know position in our society right now. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting you bring up UAF because it is a game changer. Because again, U it wasn't in, it was independent. I mean, we funded it, but UAF came to the conclusions that they came to independently. If it, if they came out to the conclusion that it was a progressive collapse and we're full of nonsense here, they would have said that. And again that input data is out there for anybody to check so what does it say to you how much of a game changer was it when this uaf report came out uh and it's coming actually from a reputable university and a very reputable engineering department
1: well yeah the uaf report really that's sort of uh that was sort of a a big picture look another look i mean even prior to the UIF report uh, coming out, there was other evidence that made it clear that uh, the NIST claims were false. For example, um, I think it was David Chandler who uh, charted the uh, rate at which Building 7 was coming down and showed that it came down uh, very close to the rate of free fall. Well, that's coming down at the rate of free fall is impossible if there's any. Uh, structure uh, in the lower elements of the building resisting the collapse so it tells you that the supporting lower structure basically vanished essentially was disabled uh, all within a few seconds well two or three seconds all of the columns in the building uh and uh well okay so that was that was one element uh, and, and then there is uh, there are some others also but the uh, well part of the okay getting back to the Alaska study, uh, one of the claim, first of all, before the study, one of the claim, one of the claims that NIST gave in their their analysis, um, which seems absurd on the surface, they were looking at floor 13, which is the floor that was exposed to a lot of fire, and <clears throat> they're looking at several beams that framed into a girder that. Framed into column 79. The other ends of those beams framed into the exterior wall of Building 7. NIST made the assumption that the ends of those beams that framed into the exterior wall were fixed insofar as movement goes, uh, resulting from thermal expansion and that all of the movement uh, was, was therefore occurred at the girder they were framing into, and that girder was pushed off of the bearing pad at column 79. Well, that's a ridiculous assumption made just without doing any heavy analysis, just a basic understanding of structural elements. The exterior wall is, first of all, going to be quite flexible it's not a fixed object and the if there the point of zero movement if you will in the building as it's heating up due to fires it's not going to be at the exterior wall it's going to be somewhere in the interior of the building so the about the only conclusion you can come to is nest artificially made that assumption to produce a results that was going to support their conclusion. So they had a conclusion before they did their analysis. Uh, now, when the Alaska study was done, they used two different computer models and let the computer models uh, show how the building floor moved what the the expansion resulting from fire how much movement occurred in different areas of that floor and of course that showed that the movement at this interior girder and column were nominal less than an inch whereas nist Claim that was like six inches. Uh, so that is a was another key element in the Alaska study. Uh, also, going through the Alaska study, along with some manual calculations, um, NIST claimed a progressive collapse starting at column 79. That was in the northwestern area of the building. And that, as that column uh, and the floors collapsed in that area, that, of course, distributed uh, load to the surrounding columns uh, leading to their collapse, that would cause a when you watch the video of the building collapsing you should then see that area of the building coming down first and then the collapse progress across the building and you should see the building tilting to one side because the uh, exterior columns uh, near that area are going to collapse before exterior columns on the opposite end of the building. That's not what happens. It all comes down uniformly across the entire width of the building. Uh, so it was clearly, uh, as we say, a global collapse, not a progressive collapse. So their their basic explanation is uh, just doesn't stand up to common sense. It doesn't stand up to a detailed computer analysis.
0: Yeah, you know, and I was thinking about this last night, and this is a question I don't think anybody in the truth movement has asked. To my knowledge, I don't know everything that's going on out there. But after build, or after September 11th and after NIST's report came out, they said we have a new phenomenon that brought down this building. It's thermal expansion of beams framing into this girder. Beams expanded, pushed the girder off its seat. Never happened before in history, but it happened on that day. It's like saying, hey, you know, that guy wasn't murdered. His head just fell off while he was walking down the street. It's a new thing. Make sure that doesn't happen to you. (laughs) Obviously, it's a spit in the face of common sense. But, you know, I mean, there exists thermal expansion. It's a phenomenon. It's not a phenomenon that ever brought down a steel frame high rise before. But I want to know from somebody who's been in the business for as long as you have, you know, you have a fire in a structure, uh, let's say a, another building catches fire. I mean, what, putting 9-11 off to the side, what is the most damage that you have seen or heard of thermal expansion doing, thermal expansion of beams doing inside a building?
1: I can't really say that I have uh, seen uh, anything like that. I don't have a lot of experience in that area. But I will say that uh, there have been numerous high-rise buildings over the decades that have been exposed to fires of greater intensity and duration. None of them collapsed like the Twin Towers or Building 7 did. That's information that the uh, investigators uh, involved in uh, investigating what happened on 9/11 were well aware of or should have been well aware of. And so knowing that, then what happened to those three buildings was unique. It's never happened before under similar circumstances. So that suggests something different happened here. It has never happened before. That tells you that we need to take a really close look at this situation. We need to look at every possible, we need to gather every bit of interim, uh, evidence we can, study it carefully, because something unique has happened here um, that wasn't done. In fact, <laughs> a basic violation of uh, <clears> the <throat> common practice when it comes to investigating failures was violated. Because the first thing you do on an accident scene, if that's what you want to call this, is you preserve the evidence, you seal off the area, you document what's there. Uh, You don't allow the evidence to be disturbed until you've thoroughly documented what's there. So you have as much information as you possibly can gather to make a knowledgeable uh, investigation into explaining what happened. Well, the building debris after the collapse was hauled off the site before the uh, teams investigating the site could really do their job. So why was the evidence destroyed before the teams responsible for investigating it could really do their job? That raises a serious question.
0: Well, yeah, now there are people that are gonna say things like, oh, there are rescue efforts going on and we had to pull people out of the debris. But let's just even look at what we have. I mean, we have a picture of John Gross from the NIST investigation standing next to uh, the, the, the Swiss cheese steel there right in the picture. And of course, they don't bother to do anything with that, even though you have evidence of very high temperatures right there in the picture with him let's just look at the rate of collapse here as the building's coming down let's look at the impossibility let's look let's actually look at the free fall not just acknowledge it because you were embarrassed at your technical briefing you know I say this probably every other week but the case was made for controlled demolition and uh I lost you for a
1: second there my phone just I, had to kill Sorry, my I think I left
0: mine in the other room. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's it a, intercepts every, me when I have my headset on. Okay. <laughs> it's
0: all right. It's whenever I, I schedule the show, all my friends feel the need to call me. It's like they psychically know <laughs> that I'm, uh, I'm occupied doing this. But, no, okay. the case was made years ago. We have enough to, at the very least, justify a new investigation. But yeah. they just want to stonewall. They just want to ignore it. Yeah. I mean, there is so much ridiculousness. I mean, if you sit and ponder... September 11th, as much as we do. I mean, for instance, supposedly there's some engineer there on the scene advising the fire department saying that building seven is going to collapse in a certain amount of time. I can't remember the number of hours, maybe five hours or something like that. And then it collapses pretty much on the money of what he predicted. But when FEMA first looks into it, they say their, their uh, best hypothesis has a low, like, uh, low probability of occurrence. I mean, you have BBC out there reporting it 20 minutes before it happened. I mean, NIST even acknowledges this is a new phenomenon here. This is the first time it ever happened. So you have a low probability event that had never happened before. Yes, somebody's on the scene making this prediction. BBC is able to predict it 20 minutes before it happens. Here's the question. Why have? Why don't we know the name of this engineer? Why not? Why don't they put him out on these shows proposing to debunk people like you, People like Roland Angle are CEO but you don't see this person I mean it seems like they'd have him right up front but you don't ever hear this person instead you hear a lot of attacks about conspiracy theories and things like that uh, so it's, again I'm just saying it's a question who is this person and and why don't you ever hear them it seems like NIST would be interested in talking to him once you think but I, that's all you. Uh, ever hear.
1: yeah well okay before I address that let me just make a quick comment regarding the uh, search uh, uh, uh process uh, at the site yeah the point about uh, uh, wanting uh, when it comes to the twin towers wanting to uh, look for any survivors as quickly as possible that's a valid point however building seven uh, everybody had evacuated the building. There was no need to be concerned about survivors. So there was no need to remove debris from the collapse of Building 7 in a hurry. Now getting back to the news media. Well, <laughs> you know, I guess this is where a lot of my background in other work uh, sort of comes into play too. And that is, We have a. We have. Our mainstream media is a corporate media. Uh, It's profit driven. It, in part, plays to what uh, sponsors are willing to support. Just being involved in controversy is not something that uh, perhaps plays well. Um, And when you look at the, there was clearly a lot of pressure put on the media. Because you saw, when you look back at the reporting on the day it happened, as you mentioned, there were some pretty straightforward things that were being reported on. But then that quickly went silent. You didn't hear that kind of talk. You didn't hear uh, reporters, Dan Rather, if I have the name, if I'm picking out the right one, for example, on the day of 9-11, talking about the explosions he was seeing, hearing about, fact that it looked like controlled demolition. Uh, I don't know that he used any words referencing explosions after that. Uh, So it becomes pretty clear that the mainstream media is, they're part of the problem. Uh, They're not doing their job. And, you know, they're supposed to be they're supposed to be providing their audience with facts as they see it um, it's not happening uh, well we believe they're
0: supposed to be we believe that they're supposed to be I mean before 2001 we all had this naive idea that uh, that journalism in uh, the United States at the at least, is like you see in movies and stuff like the the reporter seeking <laughs> the truth doing everything they can you know, putting the truth above all else and that is really not the case the mainstream media is not here to help us they are here to handle us all right mm-hmm. think of it like the pr firm for america that is exactly what it is it's you know it's, it's our entire system i mean we have a system of education that rewards <clears throat> being able to repeat you know, you memorize some facts, you repeat it. They tell you to write a book report. You write a nice uh, little uh, milk toast report on the on the book that they give you in front of the class, and you're applauded and you get an A. You know, but what about the kid who doesn't care about any of that? And maybe he invented a nice little game at his desk involving a spinning pencil, and it's very complicated and everything. But it's distracting away from the stuff they want to they want to indoctrinate you with and have you repeat. So nobody cares about that. But it's the people who thrive in that kind of environment the kind of school environment who go on to get these jobs on television and in congress because they're going to be good little boys and girls they're going to do exactly what they are told they're not going to ask questions when they're told not to ask questions while the people who display intelligence in other ways usually on their own time are probably going to go to the internet and talk about these matters so I, i like the latter i like the kid inventing the game at his desk even more. I understand you got to learn to do what you got to do and uh, keep society running here, but man, think for yourself and uh, don't sell your soul out just to be on television. Uh, Well, yeah,
1: and that's that's the key. That's the key. I think uh, people need to be reminded, uh, think for yourself. Uh, Ask yourself when you hear something, does that make sense? If it doesn't, why doesn't it? study it further. Uh, look at the sources. Who's who's providing that information? Uh, might they have a bias? And, and I guess that gets to something that I think is key to the situation that we're faced with. Um, I mean, I hear a lot of people say, Yeah, but there's, you know, how many engineers, etc, who basically support the prevailing narrative. And then there's a a few of you who are contradicting that. I'm going to trust all these other people because they're saying there's so many more of them. Well, there is a significant difference. Uh, Architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth consist of the 3,500 people that uh, uh, endorse uh, what we've come up with are primarily people who are retired they're, they're independent they're independent by virtue of being retired or being in their own business or being in a business where they feel they have some they feel secure enough that they can speak out on the other hand uh, those who from NIST, et cetera, who are pushing the prevailing narrative, they have a paymaster, to put it bluntly. Um, And um, their careers, their livelihood is in jeopardy if they don't uh, toe the right line. So how independent are the sources that you're getting your information from. Take a close look at that.
0: Yeah. And the other aspect of that too, is that like we do the best that we can to get this information out to engineers, uh, architects and such, and of course the general public. And we've done a very good job of it considering what we are up against here for the past, however many years that this organization has existed. Right. But a lot of people, myself included, you know, people talk about choosing the red pill or the blue pill. They use that analogy from the matrix. You know, the analogy I use is like it falling into a jar of M&Ms and I accidentally ate it. I wasn't even looking for this stuff and I came across it and I was like, Oh my God, this can't be true. Oh, I guess it is. I mean, there was a course over, over the course of a year I came to that conclusion, but how many other people out there are not getting this information? You know they're not looking for it it's like trying to imagine a color that uh, is not a combination of other colors uh that doesn't exist like try to think of your own color you can't because you have no perception of it because it's not in your world you have to have some kind of frame of reference for it so if people aren't aware that there are groups of architects and engineers challenging the official narrative you know they get handed a story by the government and by their professional institutions. And they don't think about it again, because they got their own projects going on in their own lives and they just move about life. So how many of them get a chance to actually hear this information? Again, we do our best. We've got project due diligence out there trying to schedule presentations all over the country. We have our own outreach materials, but even on YouTube, it's getting harder to find our videos and out on Google, you try to type in something, it's all mainstream media being shoved right down your throat. So they are threatened by this information. And, uh, you know, who knows how much it's going to escalate in the next year, whether you're going to be able to watch this video on YouTube or not. We got to start looking at alternative uh, sources of information and places to put these videos as well. But this whole argument saying, oh, there's this many architects and engineers and you've only got 3,500, it is so bogus. Because if we had the corporate media actually doing a, a fair piece on this issue, covering it, in a fair way and giving it the same amount of publicity as some of these contrived issues, uh, that they put on the news. Now, uh, then everybody would have a chance to have an opinion on it. And then I bet you we'd see a lot more people agreeing with us. So I just throw that argument right out the window. When someone tries to throw that at me now, only about two minutes here. I want you to address that. And just, if there's any final thoughts that you have for our audience or any other engineers listening.
1: Well, I guess, yeah, I guess I'd I'd like to make one little point here, that uh, uh, one of the challenges that we face too is uh, a lot of people will say, what does this really mean to me? What can I do about it? Even if you guys are right, how is this going to be addressed? What can I do about it? How does it affect me? It's done and passed. Well, they don't really understand what's going on and how this has affected their lives and will continue to affect their lives. So we need a more informed, a more educated uh, society. Uh, People need to be made aware of how this affects them. It may not be obvious, but if you look closer, uh, it does. So, So how do we... Yeah. How do we move ahead with uh, architects and engineers? Well, uh, folks, engineers, architects, scientists, uh, we're going to be working on this for a long time. So get on the right side of history. The truth will emerge sooner or later. And join us in bringing the truth to the forefront, getting the problem addressed. There, there has been a huge criminal act committed. The people behind it have yet to be identified and brought to justice. Um, so, until we correct this problem, there is—it's a problem. It's going to continue to affect our lives. Who knows what's going to happen next?
0: So. there you go and we're going to continue to be here standing up against it join us follow follow with us and uh basically stand up to them and do whatever you can you know use your talents everyone's got different ones some people may want to do a video podcast other people want to uh, write a an article news story and there's probably a million other ways that i'm not thinking of right on the moment here but just go ahead and if you're fighting then you are winning Larry, thank you so much for all your great work here at AE Nine Eleven Truth, and for coming on the show today.
1: All right. Well, thank you, Andy. I appreciate having this opportunity, and uh, keep spreading the the word.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen. So that is it. That's another episode of Nine Eleven Freefall. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we are going to see you next week. This program is on every Thursday night on No Lies Radio at 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Pacific, and every other Sunday night on BBS Radio at 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. You can also keep track of the archives by going to 911freefall.com. This is Andy Steele. Say have a great week. Good luck.